Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel Labrizzi. And I'm Chris Delano. Uh, and we are here with a very special guest tonight. Uh, we have a pretty unique episode with a pretty unique opportunity. Uh, we are here with Seanan McGuire. Hello! Uh, thank you, Seanan, so much for coming <laughs> on to this episode. This is, uh, is going to be a neat one. Uh, you are not a magic author tonight. Uh, you are a subject matter expert uh, on, on fairy tales and folklore. Um, and so while folks out there might uh, recall your connection to magic being uh, authoring a number of stories, including one uh, Hugo-nominated story whose name is Escaping Me, Tangles? Is that what it was called? Yes. My brain is good sometimes. Um, so uh, I, I guess... Uh, Introduce us to Shannon, the person who knows an awful lot about fairy tales and folklore. Hi, so I am Shannon McGuire, and I went to the University of California, Berkeley for a dual major in folklore and herpetology, uh, which is basically the dragon's degree, which basically leaves you <laughs> ask people if they would like fries with that. Uh, uh -huh. I became a fantasy author. It's the only thing I'm trained to do. Uh-huh. But, you know, apart from that, uh, when I first started writing for Magic, I actually had someone guess by the fact that my cards were all out that I had started writing for Magic Story. But mm -hmm. very confused because Eldraine had already happened and she couldn't understand why they would even bother bringing me on if they had already been to the fairy tale place. So we're here tonight to talk about fairy tales because I was doing random deep academic threads trying to analyze uh -huh. the fairy tale roots of wilds of eldraine and jay basically went well we could monetize that it's <laughs> <laughs> fine uh we are we are very grateful to have you at our disposal because uh i uh do not have a degree in fairy tales uh and certainly not in herpetology so i cannot answer any dragon related questions I gave up on my bio degree, so. <laughs> I gave up on the herpetology side of my degree after I got bitten by one too many horrible venomous things, um, which means I can tell you about the differences in the quality of venom between the diamondback rattlesnake and the king cobra in terms of what does it feel like while it's breaking down your blood cells. Right, very quickly, which is worse? Uh, honestly, the rattlesnake was worse. Interesting. Hmm. The King Cobra Venom, I mean, there is no there is no venom that is super pleasant, but the King Cobra Venom felt kind of like that nausea shredding that you get when you are on nitrous for dental work and have just had too much. There's a numbness that travels with it, mm -hmm. whereas, whereas the rattlesnake venom sort of feels like your blood has been carbonated with acid, and that is much less pleasant. That doesn't sound great. Um not a big fan of soda personally, so I'm going to I'm going to not do that one. Good plan. See, now I just want to talk about lizards and stuff. But, um, <laughs> we have to talk about fairy tales because we have listeners to answer to and promises to keep. <laughs> that is very true. Uh, Wilds of Eldraine this time around uh, gave us 10 archetypes, uh, 10, 10 two colored archetypes, each based around kind of magic's take on a classic fairy tale, which is uh, we've got uh, the Snow Queen, Sleeping Beauty, Pied Piper, Hansel and Gretel, Beauty and the Beast, 
uh, Snow White, Sorcerer's Apprentice, uh, Red Riding Hood, Cinderella, and Jack and the Beanstalk are the eight. Or ten. I know how to count. I know how many colors and pairs <laughs> there are in Magic. So there, there were a couple that we specifically wanted to highlight tonight. Uh, so oh. I, I guess, uh, Seanan, uh, your choice of where, where we start on, the, on this adventure. It is interesting that for Wilds of Eldraine, which, uh, near as I can tell, did not have a folklore consultant, and that's okay. Uh, but it is interesting that they treated, basically did Disney try to do it as a, uh, as a Descendants character, as mm-hmm. the design for Is It a Fairy Tale? Uh, mm-hmm. Because of these stories are not actually Martian. They are not fairy tales. They are stories with known and established authors. Mm-hmm. Snow Queen and Beauty and the Beast both come from we know who wrote this. We know who made up this story. And then it just sort of entered the public consciousness. Mm-hmm. And that copyright should not be extended indefinitely. Um, but uh, yeah, the Snow Queen is an interesting one. That is a story that was very sort of forgotten for a long time. It hung on random resurgences until Disney pulled out Frozen. And then suddenly everyone had their own take on the Snow Queen story, most of which leave out large portions of the original story. And I think that the treatment in Wilds of Eldraine was very interesting because they kind of repurpose Ruby as the robber's daughter, Mm -hmm. as one of the main characters in that original story. But we don't really have a Greta and Kay unless you want to try and force Kellen into one or both of those roles. Hilda really just wants to be left alone. She's not kidnapping children unless I missed something in the cards. No, she's mostly just killing people because she wants to be left alone. Mm-hmm. I can empathize with that. Really, really. It's, it's very relatable. <laughs> yeah, but the Snow Queen is a Hans Christian Andersen story, and that mm-hmm. is the gentleman that wrote The Little Mermaid. Um, and it is actually another of his stories that is um, academically considered a queer allegory. You know, Kay splinter in his eye and falls completely in love with the wrong person. But the right person can snap him out of that if they follow him and kiss him and just love him enough to get the the splinter of mirror out of his eye. I do kind of wish we had leaned, if we were going to do the Snow Queen, I wish we had leaned harder into the actual story and less just into the superficial. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is an odd statement, but most of these, we really beat the living crap out of the deeper portion of the story. Mm-hmm. Hansel and Gretel, we are going all the way down. <laughs> yeah, I feel it, it didn't, wasn't there in like, oh, time is fake. I'm going to say the last decade, but it might have been earlier. Wasn't there like a gritty adult Hansel and Gretel movie? I want to say with Jeremy Renner, but that might not be correct. Yes, there. Well, no, wait, was there? Was there? Excellent. I had a Witch was. Hunters movie. Nope, Jer- Jeremy Renner's Um, And that was in 2013. And oh, they- exactly the last 10 years. I'm good. Exactly. Uh, so there is a certain element of Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters in, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the Sweet Tooth story, uh, in the, the Sweet Tooth Scourge story. But I love the innovation of killing Hansel. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I also love that we neatly sidestepped one of the most misogynistic things that the Brothers Grimm did. And they did a lot of misogynistic stuff. They, they really did. We have pre-Grimm versions of a lot of these stories. And those guys never passed up an opportunity to say, hey, did you know women are the worst? Um, but by not establishing whether it was their mother or their stepmother who abandoned them in the story, uh, in the woods, to die, we sidestep that tidy little horribleness that the Grimm's inserted into so much. I like that with them we pick up after the story is over. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to say that the Hansel and Gretel uh, story from Eldraine is one of the, the rare ones that actually started in the first Eldraine mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. when we had Curious yeah. Pear and Trail of Breadcrumbs. Yep. So we sort of had that beginning of the story and then we we skipped, I think, uh, the most grisly part of the, the fate of Hansel in this case, um, straight into Greta Sweet Tooth Scourge now for, for Wilds of Eldraine, uh, post-brother's death uh, off screen. Yeah, and that's a beautiful way to let the witch win for one, because she really does. You know, you, you've got Greta being all Sweet Tooth Scourgey, but her brother has still been eaten, and we're not going to get her back. Um, Hansel and Gretel is an interesting one because that is one of the older stories we know the roots of. That and Little Red Riding Hood are probably the two oldest stories that are centered in this set. Uh, how, how old are we talking here? We are talking 400s for the earliest recorded versions. Oh, wow. wow. Really? Yes. Uh, we recently, uh, within the last 10 years, actually found a trove of older fairy tales, some of which were never recorded by Grimm, and thus will never have the opportunity to catch the modern imagination. Because mm -hmm. if you want to pick up a collection of fairy tales, be it Grimm, be it the colored, colored fairy tales, anything like that, you've got to brace yourself for some big racism, some big misogyny, a lot of rape, and some things that, that just don't make any sense whatsoever. Like a fairy tale that we didn't include in Eldraine, the mouse, the bird, and the sausage. Mm -hmm. And those were the stories that were being told to children and to adults because the stories had very different intentions than we tend to lay on fairy tales today. Uh, the single piece that I would say is the closest to being an actual quote unquote, this is how you make a fairy tale, is the story of Red Tooth Keep which is kind of mix-mastering Beauty and the Beast, another mm -hmm. we have an established known author, and a lot of the don't go into the woods, don't offend the fae, you'll get cursed, even a man who is pure of heart, etc., etc. That is not something you really see in a lot of fairy tales. You'll see witches that turn into a beast at night, and you can usually find them because you cut the paw off one of the animals, and then the next day, the nice little old lady that always bakes you cookies is missing a hand. But you don't see that lane on an entire keep of people. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that is one of those that has the strongest visible narrative throughout the cards that you can follow to see what's going on with the elves in Red Tooth Keep. Yeah, so, so Red Tooth Keep was a thing that was added in this set uh, that was not present in the first set. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and it's a uh, community of elves who are all werefoxes. Not werewolves, werefoxes, because they're elves. So they turn into something a little more cunning and wily, like they are. Um, it also means that they look gorgeous. The werefoxes in the art in this set are just, like, so soft and fluffy looking. I love them. Um, 
it's like a really really good divergent take on like the the were dog archetype compared to like Innistrad um and uh it's it's a neat way to like take something that is sort of present in magic which is like anthropy here and there in the multiverse and uh kind of kind of twist it into the beast side of the beauty and the beast story exactly and that's one of those that you know given that we're starting to see things like the magic cookbook coming out and more and more side stuff i would love to see a book of fairy tales from eldraine and i feel like red tooth keep uh delver haw which is our cinderella variant and care velen which is our assumptions people make about fairy tales not an actual fairy tale variant would be really great thing into a big illustrated children's book of stories from Eldraine mm -hmm. and just actually sell that in the children's section and confuse everyone. <laughs> so I would, I would really love to, um, speaking of like fairy tales and the, the way that uh, magic subverts them and changes them a little bit, I would love to talk about the Delver Hall story. Um, so you mentioned that Cinderella is not one of the oldest fairy tales we have um and this is sort of magic's take on cinderella and it's a yeah. little it's a little different from uh the more common way of doing it i mean ash who's this main character uh she is wearing battle armor crashing a, a dwarf festival of some kind rather than uh a girl being swept off to a ball by her fairy godmother um but i was just curious about like what your take on that sort of subversion of the original cinderella uh into this kind of like party crash and uh badass that is ash uh fighting alongside a bunch of dwarves at delver hall so cinderella um oh actually never mind i was wrong on cinderella uh cinderella may be the oldest fairy tale we know since the earliest version that we're aware of was recorded somewhere between 7 bc and and uh 23 ad uh, oh, I was wrong too then. Yeah, I, that is I, that is ridiculous. And we have variants of Cinderella literally all over the world. Um, it's appeared in Africa. It's appeared in Asia. Cinderella was one of those stories that people just carried around with them like a fun gift to give to anyone that we ran into. You would tell that story at night. And because of that, it is actually remarkably difficult to come up with a true subversion of Cinderella. Mm -hmm. um, as long as you have a semi-orphaned or otherwise persecuted maiden who disguises herself in some way to appear at an upper class event where she can meet someone who will elevate her status, whether it be through marriage, through being offered a position in a corporation, or one assumes in Ash's case, because she's going to join their army, um, you're still looking at a Cinderella. Now, one of the defining features is the female persecutor. Uh, Cinderella is an Arn Thompson tail type 510A, and that is oh, fairly. What does that mean? <laughs> that means that I'm a nerd. Um, the yeah, Arn Thompson well, we yeah, the Arne Thompson Index to Motifs in Folklore and Fairy Tales is an academic work that was assembled by two gentlemen whose last names were Arne and Thompson and whose first names I have forgotten because I'm no longer being graded on holding this information in my head. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, breaking down 
every known story from what they then considered the academically relevant parts of the world. So mm -hmm. Europe and Asia, although they did start making stabs into the Middle East before mm -hmm. the way and the archive stopped evolving, breaking mm -hmm. by shared attributes, things that connect stories. Mm -hmm. um, you know, 510A has the ball and the uh, female persecutor. 510B usually has the lead character driven from home by the persecutions of her father because he wants to marry her. So, so this is almost kind of like an evolutionary chart of how a story has moved and adapted. It kind of is, but it's also a way to really sit down and start drilling and going, okay, what here is actually essential for people to be able right. to recognize this story? And yeah. with that is almost always a female persecutor, some kind of remnant of her uh, of her mother's legacy. Um, mm -hmm. Thing is that Cinderella is one of the only stories where the wicked stepmother is mandatory. Mm -hmm. She's either mistreated by her stepmother or by her father. She is not mistreated by her mother, and that is not true of most fairy tales. Um, she is driven from home one way or another, and she seeks a an event, a fair, a ball, a marriage position, a a marriage market, something where she can be exposed to people of a higher class. Not necessarily because she's trying to win her way into that higher class, but because it provides a form of camouflage for her journey to continue. Um, so Cinderella is just very ancient. You can take out the stepmothers, you can take step stepsisters, you can take out the fairy godmother. You can take out all manner of things, and it will still be recognizably Cinderella. You know, so, so, so hmm? Disney's Aladdin is kind of a Cinderella, almost. Mm, I would say no, because while Jafar is an abusive um, older male figure, he is not in a father figure position to Aladdin. Fair. What makes a Cinderella story, uh, whether you have a male protagonist, a female protagonist, in some of the modern retellings, a non-binary protagonist, is the fact that a parental figure who should be protecting this child is abusing them in some way. So, you know, Disney's Hercules is definitely a Superman story, but um, I don't know that I could agree that their Aladdin is a, is a Cinderella. Well, I suppose okay. in Magic's version, one of the big differences um, is that we don't, we don't see on screen Ash's family life or mm -hmm. where she'd come from or why she ended up at Delver Hall. Uh, we can assume that she's not welcome there because when she loses her helmet, uh, everyone goes silent. There's like a, a sort of understanding that she's not in the place that her station would appoint her to. Right. Um, but I, I find it interesting that in this version of Cinderella versus uh, the Disney version or a lot of the the sort of like uh, foundational Cinderella story that you were just talking about. Um, this one also includes a giant brawl and a fight and a battle uh, more mm -hmm. than just a something, something happening at the party other than a dance or some sort of meeting. In this case, the meeting is uh, a bunch of red caps invade and she is introduced to Godric, who is, uh, the Prince Charming of this story, right? Uh, I suppose. It, it would have been nice, and I realize that this is not the main goal of magic, but it would have been nice with Elverha especially, 
need to have a little bit more how did she get there, which is why I was saying I'd like to see a book of Eldraine. Mm -hmm. Most of these, you know, you can kind of guess how we got there without needing a lot of background. Uh, mm -hmm. How did Greta get here? Well, they went into the woods. Does it matter why they went into the woods? It does not. He is still getting eaten. Mm -hmm. uh, we can tell even without meeting his master, uh, which is interesting. That is the one that made me go the most, oh, I'm not going to like this because the Sorcerer's Apprentice is not a very common archetype in magic. Uh, sorry, in fairy tales. You are much more likely to encounter the evil wizard's daughter who will steal a whole bunch of his stuff to help you escape from him. But yeah, this one, uh, Johan's story feels very much more like it's a direct reference to... Um, the Sorcerer's the Apprentice Disney, by Disney, yeah. Disney property, yeah. Um, which is still very fun, but uh, in sort of feels fairy tale-ish, but it's not mm -hmm. exactly a fairy tale. Um, there, there's also, I I know that uh, people who read the story are very, very familiar with Ruby, who's our Red Riding Hood uh, mm -hmm. analog. What is the history of Red Riding Hood? Because that is... Oh, hold on. Mm -hmm. real, real quick, before we, before we leave Cinderella, I do also want to mention that... Uh, the the one additional twist, uh, Godric, who is is the plays the prince in in this uh, variation of Stark, is also not there with um, honest intentions. He's a dragon in disguise. Uh, so so both both the Cinderella and Prince characters are kind of putting on masks to show up at this event. Um, that is super fun. I actually really like Godric as our Prince Charming. Um, and yeah, I just, I want to see the, f the more we talk about the fairy tales of Eldraine, the more I just want to see the tales of Eldraine book. Mm -hmm. I may get bored and write the whole thing. <laughs> well, well, we, we don't have a lot of text about most of these characters. We have mm -hmm. cards spread throughout. Um, but like I was saying that the character we have the most text for is definitely Ruby, the, the Red Riding Hood. Um, wait, wait, wait. I, mm -hmm. not to interrupt your Ruby okay. thing again. <laughs> But to be clear, Godric is not Prince Charming. He is a dragon, which means he is Prince Charring. Okay, five yards. Uh. That pun. <laughs> okay, continue. I'll be quiet now. <laughs> Anyways, Ruby is our Red Riding Hood analog. <laughs> and yes, she also she features prominently in the main story. Um, and they approach her story very differently than the, the classic Red Riding Hood that I'm familiar with. And I don't know the history of Red Riding Hood. Maybe you can illuminate that a little bit. But in my experience, that is one of the earliest like fairy tales, folk tales that I am familiar with. That is like a one that I can recount being told as a very small child uh, rather than experiencing it through Disney or cartoons, but experiencing it as, you know, my grandmother sitting me down and be like, oh, let me tell you a story like that's how foundational it feels to me. Yeah. Red Riding Hood is interesting because while it has been used for a lot of different media over the years and has been adapted so often that you can literally signal this character is going to be our fairy tale heroine by putting her in a red coat. Um, Little Red Riding Hood has never actually had that one major breakout media adaptation that every other fairy tale seems to get. Uh, now, that said, you are correct. It is a very early fairy tale. Um, it has been around for ages. It's been around so long that we actually don't know where it started. 
And it was written down by both Peralt, who is one of the ones that wrote some original stories that entered the fairy tale canon, and the Brothers Grimm, who half plagiarized Peralt so that they could claim credit for the story. Uh, but beyond that, academics actually look at Little Red Riding Hood and say that this is probably an allegory for the death and return of the sun, that this is a solar cycle. And we're not talking about a literal little girl. We're talking about the sun walking into the deep woods of winter and coming back again in the spring. So by that measure, you can actually say that Little Red Riding Hood is a Persephone story. I don't know if I with that interpretation, but it is common enough and comes up frequently enough if you start digging into the Little Red uh, scholarship, which there is. When you're looking at a story that we have known for cultures and across decades, you're going to find a lot of books written on the topic. Um, Ruby is interesting because she kind of demonstrates how foundational Little Red Riding Hood has become. Much like our Cinderella, she is stripped down to the essentials. Mm -hmm. She is just kind of pulled down to her symbolism and this is Red Riding Hood and her go into another set of adventures. And we don't question it because she has enough of the iconography that we can still recognize mm -hmm. her. Yeah, so, oh God, what, what is her brother's name? Is it Peter? It's Peter, because he's the big bad wolf and he's Peter and well, the wolf well, at the same he, time. He's Well, he gets to play the role of both the huntsman and the big bad wolf. Um at different points in the story, thanks to Agatha's influence, um, which is economic, which I appreciate sometimes. Uh, and uh, But yeah, like, Ruby's function in this story is not to be a retelling of Little Red Riding Hood. It's to be Red Riding Hood goes along with Kellen in our Magic the Gathering. Mm -hmm. um, and has her own arc that is kind of independent of the Red Riding Hood story. Um, but she still gets to be Red Riding Hood because, uh, yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, the whole Red Riding Hood part is just v visually iconic uh, in the non this word means nothing because culture uses it too much on the internet way. And also in the non the iconography belongs. I think you might have cut out there, Seanan. Oh, sorry. I was saying also in the non this iconography way. It's interesting because Disney has done so much to lock down how we see so many of these characters mm -hmm. because we haven't had that one standout Little Red Riding Hood. When you look at Ruby, she's still Little Red. There's no hair color we associate. There's no specific dress. She just gets to show up and be Little Red because she has the cloak. And it is difficult to overstate how powerful that is in the staying. And either I've just said something completely ridiculous or my internet has you are you're cutting out a little bit now. That's we are reaching the time in the afternoon where my neighbors come home and start. And yep, you, you keep cutting out. If it's your neighbors, uh, I will go yell at them. Um, Good luck with that. Um, you may be about to lose me, but uh, sorry for that. Um, I cannot control the internet much as I try. Uh, I do wish we had gotten to see a little bit more focus on the Sleeping Beauty story in here. I feel like every. Mm -hmm kind of gets to resolve. I'm now talking very fast to at least touch on the different stories before I get dropped. Mm -hmm. And uh, our Pied Piper was fun. Like, Totentop, yeah. fun. And, so and many rats. So <laughs> many rats. 
But also having a Pied Piper story drop when everyone is on strike is great because that really is the, you have a problem with us going on strike? We could take your children level of opinion. <laughs> Because um, all the problems of the township in a Pied Piper story are self-made. Your issue is that you didn't pay your contractors. Can you can you explain that a little bit more so that everyone's on the same page? So in a Pied Piper story, uh, and I do have to extrapolate here because, again, we, we don't get every part of the story. But in a classic Pied Piper story, the Pied Piper comes to town and the town has a rat problem. And he says, oh, I have a great skill on the flute. If I play the flute, the rats will leave. Can I play my flute to take your rats away? And the township says, we'll give you anything. And the Pied Piper says, great, give me this large but still reasonable amount of gold and I will free your town of the rats. And the township says, sure, that sounds awesome. And then he does not get a notarized contract before he plays the rats out of town. So after he has piped the rats away and the town is now free of the scourge of the rats, when the Pied Piper comes back and says, hey, pay me, the township says, we don't have proof that you got rid of the rats. Maybe the rats just decided now was the time to leave. Maybe this is a natural rat departure zone. We're not going to pay you. And when they refuse to pay him three times, he comes back in the night and he pipes their children away. The Pied Piper does not take the nuclear option immediately. He tries very hard to get paid, and when they refuse to pay him, he takes what he can. So, you know, during the time of labor strikes and unfair pay, it's... <laughs> Fellow freelancers out there, take note. If they don't, come back with a magic flute and take their children. This this version of the Pied Piper seems to be showing up with the rats. So I feel There's... like um, feel like he has, he has already decided that uh, he's not playing this game anymore. Um, yeah, how did he get the rats? Well, the, we have the, the, the Rat, rat king. king. Yeah. Lord Skitter, which is an incredibly good name for a character. It really is. I anticipate a lot of pet rats named Lord Skitter coming out of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, or Old Flitterfang, the, the rat fairy. Very yes. cute. But, uh, Wait, hold, there was a <laughs> rat fairy in this set? Old Flitterfang, the rat fairy. It's legendary. <laughs> we it's haven't done our flavor gems yet. When when we do our flavor gems next week, uh, Lorelai will have to actually go through and look at all the cards in the set. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I I am loving the ways in which uh, wizards decide to approach fairy tales uh, as sort of a inspiration for a lot of these you. stories. Um, but not necessarily trying to recreate them um, yeah, and, and doing it in a, a pretty fun way. Like with Totentons, uh, piping the rats into the city instead of away from the city or uh, Greta, you know, taking the fight to the, the gingerbread cabin rather than uh, getting devoured. Um, but speaking about Greta and her uh, food, witch, uh and Ruby, who we talked about with Agatha and then, we have uh, Hilda, the Snow Queen. The, there's three main witches who are sort of like the focus of this story, of this fairy tale of Kellen uh, on his his quest. Um, Hilda is pretty easy to notice as like the Snow Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of that was on purpose and that that's a very clear allegory. Um, 
And in my mind, I look at Agatha and I think of her as the witch who eats the children in the cabin. Um, Mm -hmm. But it didn't really work out that way. So can you tell us some of the history of like witches in fairy tales and folklore and like what some of the inspirations for these these major characters in Eldraine have been? So witches in fairy tale and folklore are actually a lot less common than we make them out to be. In a lot of the earlier fairy tales, it was either wicked sorcerers or it was actual fairies. It was spirits of the woods and the land who didn't like where you were. Now, when there were witches kicking around, and there were plenty of them, uh, they made a lot of problems. Ariette, uh, is it Ariette or Ariette? Ariette, I think. I've I've been saying Ariette. Ariette, uh, consensus pronunciation. Um, Ariette seems to be fairly centered on Snow White's mother, on the name mm-hmm. who poisoned the apple, who talked to the mirror, all of that. If you had left me in charge of setting up the witches, she actually wouldn't be in this set because she would have been the twins' mother. The earliest versions of uh, Snow White linked back to Chione who was a Greek mythological figure who wound up giving birth to divine twins that had been conceived through a form of assault by a demigod. Um, so that would have fit perfectly with the Kenrith twins, but we didn't do that, obviously. Um, uh, we, so well, what we do get, though, is uh, there is an implication that she might actually be their biological aunt. Uh, yes. And that their parent, uh, that their mother was her sister. And we don't know, you know, the three witch sisters is a phrase used in the story, so we don't know if it was a uh, colloquial if it was a lie or lord true. sister or uh, whether it was like a true familial relationship. But uh, yeah. the implication yeah. is that she has some kind of feeling of parental authority over Rowan in this story, or or feels like she can fill in some of that. Right. You can look at the roles and the way that those work mechanically and say that that mm-hmm. is actually us something about the way that Eldraine works metaphysically yeah. and mm-hmm. that uh, these stories are not all happening at once because we, the audience, are just here. These are archetypes that keep happening again and again and again every time they get overthrown. You know, maybe yeah. now that is gone, either Greta is going to wind up becoming a gingerbread witch or her mm-hmm. child a gingerbread witch. And yeah. if you want you could say that Ariette is actually the, the Snow White of the last generation. Mm-hmm. She was a girl that got driven out of her house and she wound up getting resurrected, but had something had broken during the time that she was dead. And uh, so she gradually became the queen that had destroyed her. And that would give us her sister, Rose Red, to stand in for the twins' mother. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was a witch, then Rose Red would logically also have become a witch. Um, Agatha, obviously, is the gingerbread witch from Hansel and Gretel, which is another dramatic story. And uh, I'm very pleased that we didn't see Hansel and Gretel's mother. Like, I'm just, I'm so pleased about that. <laughs> but uh, the gingerbread witch, pretty straightforward. That was really just a, if you go into the woods, something's going to eat you, and you refuse to be afraid of bears, so I'm going to tell you it's a horrible witch story. Um, I like the version of Hansel and Gretel that they tell in Australia, because in Australia, there is a kind of stick insect whose ultimate defense, the greatest thing it can do if it is offended by your presence, is make a smell like warm chocolate chip cookies. 
So in Australia, it is not unrealistic that the forest might suddenly just start smelling like baking caramel and chocolate. Mm, come into the woods. That place is so unreal. Just oh, Australia is ridiculous. <laughs> just, you know, it's uh, when we were real. arguing, when we were arguing about who might have been the witch sister, which is a thing that I got into pretty hard. Um, on the social media site that shall no longer be named because it threw its own name away and then turned really evil. Uh, we have two Germanic witches. We have Agatha and we have Ariette. And then we have one witch who was created by Anderson and one missing witch. So you could say that the missing sister would also be a uh, would also be an Anderson witch. And he does give us a couple. We've got the barley witch. And she's got the food connections that are so very strong on Eldraine and also various connections to children. She creates children out of raw materials. She's the one that created Thumbelina. Um, and then you've got the evil queen who is a witch. Most of the time, uh, queens could also be witches. They would just become witches. It, it was a weird thing. It's like stepping over a puddle of water that a wolf has drunk out of and you turn into a vampire poof. Um, but the Wicked Queen and the Wild Swan might actually work as the as the mother of Will and Rowan. Um, well, so, who is ready for another really bad pun? No one. Uh, no no one's ever one. ready for them. Um, it, I, I actually think Rowan and Will's mother is another food-related witch. Um, because... Um, She's not really part of any of these stories. Uh, she's a sandwich. This is bad. Just keep talking. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Okay, so looking at the cyclical nature of Eldraine, we really kind of like the idea of it as the Snow White of the past generation because that mm. gift is read as a missing witch. Hmm. I think that's an interesting way to think about the way fairy tales are embodied on this plane because we have um Trojan in the story who is not from here yet he is Jack in Jack and the Beanstalk so like mm -hmm. it's almost like him coming here means that he starts to take on one of these roles in one of these stories he is filling an archetype um and that's cool to think about yep I actually series about that wherein fairy tales were infectious and would just get you and that ties back to the mechanic to the mechanics you know saying that this is part of the eldraine mechanics if i can cast a, a role on one of your creatures eldraine can cast a role on someone who visits from another plane i'm really really loving this cyclical nature idea because now i'm imagining um there was there was some discussion around uh lord skitters uh because Every, for the most part, rats on Eldraine have never been shown to be intelligent. Mm -hmm. um, they are, for the most part, just rats. Uh, and even Old Flitterfang, our little rat fairy friend who we discovered today, uh, is just eating a pie. Like, there's no insinuation that this is more intelligent than a regular rat. Uh, but Lord Skitters is like an intelligent, clothes-wearing rat noble. Um, <laughs> and so... If if we do want to go with this sort of headcanon, which, you know, Lorelai is contractually forbidden from uh, participating in, um, <laughs> there is there is sort of this idea that, like, what if Lord Skitters is the result of a Pied Piper who, you know, plays their pipe to call forth rats 
uh, after being wronged so much that they become a rat. Uh, and that is why Lord Skitters gives Totentons the pipe that he uses. Um, so you, you can very clearly make that sort of story uh, using that concept. Mm -hmm. um, and it works. Yeah, the best thing about really any base theory is finding something that doesn't contradict. And I don't think that saying fairy tales are cyclical contradicts anything we know about Eldraine. Say mm -hmm. that kind of does. Because how would they have built a whole world on fairy tales if none of them happened until right now? Uh, mm -hmm. No woman kind of lost her crap. She's got real bad main character syndrome if her birth kicked off all the fairy tales. Well, I mean, and so I, I think part of this is also like, hey, Kellen is really genre savvy because uh -huh. he is from the fairy tale world. And so he understands a lot of tropiness. But and also, how fairy tales work. But also knowing that doesn't fully get him through all his problems because archetypes can exist, but also other individual stories can exist. And also things can get riffed on through. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the more we talk about this, the more I, I like this idea as kind of a headcanon thing that, uh, I don't know, maybe if we talk about it enough, it'll just become real, like Limdul the Raven Man. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I've accomplished that a couple of times now, so not with Limdul. That, that was all Jay, and uh, really the only thing there was that Jay got to use me as a weapon against the people who said that that was a ridiculous theory. So I, as one of the people who helped work uh, on that theory, it's a ridiculous theory, but what <laughs> made it work? You did. I, I was just delighted the day that uh, Homecoming went live and Jay mm -hmm. on Twitter uh, gloating that did you get a Nebula Award winning author to write your fan canon? No, you <laughs> I'm like, my dude, did you just weaponize me? <laughs> I think you well, did. So we are we are well into this podcast. I just wanted to ask if there were any uh, any fairy tale references in Eldraine or Wilds of Eldraine that you you felt were particularly exciting uh, or interesting uh, that we haven't discussed. I mean, it's not entire. Oh, we have actually that. I picked up a pile of cards to try and find one to to name and found Lord Skitter's butcher. Oh yeah, he's just wearing an apron. It's very weird. He's wearing an apron and he has a cleaver. Mm -hmm. He has a job. He's a rat with a job. It's a little He's unsettling. A rat with a job. I'm going to say he is pretty much definitely a uh, intelligent. Uh, well, you so, I mean, he's, he's it's literally a peasant, which is a job, technically, mm -hmm. uh, in the context of Magic the Gathering. And so, you know, uh, whether this character is a good cook or whether there is a very teeny tiny human inside that hat pulling the hair off of rat's head, <laughs> who can say? We'll never know. Headcanon, whatever you want. Uh, but digging through the cards that I have here, I love the embroidery that was done on the gingerbread witch on Agatha and Greta. I think that the inclusion of this much malicious candy is possibly the single best thing that has ever happened. It's goofy. It's goofy and it's glorious. The minstrosity and the flavor text on candy grapple. Oh my god. Hmm? Uh, where was this at? I, I don't actually know who all was on the text team. Go to the product page, website, please load faster. 
Yeah. Um, it, it's it's one of the things I really like about working on on creative text for Magic is uh, looking at sets that I did not work on and uh, identifying like you because I I can see what things really tickled the fancies of the people working on the set. Um, mm-hmm. I can see where they had the most fun. It, it seems like the Candy Monstrosities was a place where that team just let themselves go hog wild in the right. most fun way possible. Uh, and I love seeing it. But like calling out the distinction between poisonous and venomous on Candy Grapple was just freaking gorgeous. Mm-hmm. They just want to shake someone's hand for things that we didn't focus on, either because they're not part of one of those main ten, main uh, ten stories, or because it didn't come up. We've got a couple cards like Rowan's Grim Search and the Misleading Moats that trend mm-hmm. into Lorwyn territory. They've got these willow mm-hmm. around, and those are found much more frequently in Yarn Fairy and the occasional Arthuriana. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the Goose Mother. I just want to give big. <laughs> goose mother um she whose eggs contain us all because that was a way to kind of bring mother goose in and mother goose is a nursery rhymes figure not a fairy tales figure but Mm -hmm. crypt keeper she's a mascot and thus represents her entire genre in a way that the brothers Grimm do not Mm -hmm. um so i'm gonna definitely call those as two things anybody else have one not off the top of my head i i I personally love all of the the moving furniture. I know that that's um, not necessarily fairy tale esque. It's it's I guess related to the Sorcerer's Apprentice story. Well, it's also very Beauty and the Beast. And Beauty and the Beast, mm-hmm. but like the the living lectern. Uh, there's the um, what is the name of the catapult? Uh, unruly catapult. And there's these you know, it, it's a way for magic to to do artifact creatures that are just everyday items, which they've done plenty of times. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of like trebuchets and things like that sort that are creatures for some reason. Uh, and in this case, it's like, well, it's it's got legs and it's moving around. So that is certainly a creature. I don't yep. think there's a better way to describe it. Um, and then I also love the fact that the, the big bad wolf was named Peter. So you had the big bad wolf and also Peter and the wolf in one See? little character. Double economical. Very, yeah, great use of space. Um, I uh, one of one of my favorite art pieces from the set was uh, for Baluna Grand Squall. She is a uh, storm giant who lives up in the clouds, uh, and uh, she collects fantastical items from the surface. Uh, so she's using the gingerbread house from the land from the first set as a leg rest. Uh, you can see Indralon the magic mirror that she stole from Castle Vantress uh, in the background. Uh, and there's a couple other um, artifacts from the set. So I, I, I like the idea of someone who just like sits above Eldraine and like plucks up the little fairy tale iconography things that she is fascinated with. Uh, and I, I also really like that Sir Ginger has a card. Uh, I believe this is the first time in magic history ever that a character who has debuted in a set trailer has gotten a card in a set. Um, Sir Ginger is our very own Harley Quinn. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I found out recently that Livewire was also created for that 
I don't want to call it a cinematic universe, but for Superman, the animated series. Yep. And X-23 was originally created for X-Men Evolution. That's a show I have to go back and rewatch. I say this because I am currently watching Superman, the animated series, uh, and did recently watch the Livewire episode. But uh, yeah, that's not relevant to Eldraine. (laughs) (laughs) But it could be. I mean, with the way we're going on, we're going to heroes. God, if, if we ever got like a dedicated like superhero world, I would lose my mind. Uh, dear everyone on in creative, if there's ever a superhero world, I very much want to work on that set. Please and thank you. Right. Oh. So um, we are we are ending close to the. We end. are at time. Uh, yep. Uh, I guess we can we can either jump to final thoughts or, or I can ask you one one final question about fairy tales, mm-hmm. um, specifically it. about fairies. Uh, if you are walking through the wood uh, woods and and you happen to find yourself in a magical court of a kindly lord, uh, and the fairy offers you something to eat and asks you a question, what what is the proper um, way to respond to this? Because I feel like the characters in the magic story had very different approaches to it. Well, first, what is the question? Uh, are you pure of heart? Uh, that is a terrible question to be asked because you are probably about to be sacrificed to something. You've just been offered food. Hospitality says you accept it. You can't eat it, but you accept it. It's not a gift if it is given within the first 72 hours in the court because you are within the hospitality window. So you take the food, you set it lightly down, you say, my mother is expecting me for dinner very shortly, and that the purity of my heart is between myself and God. All right, so so someone needs to pass that information along to Emma Dane. Oh, Emma Dane is just fucked. <laughs> so I, as a fellow homosexual, I assume Emma Dane did exactly what I would do, which is, uh, Oh, great, some food. This is delicious. Am I pure of heart? Fuck no. This is an opportunity for me to start flirting with a genderly ambiguous fairy. Uh, <laughs> and I, too, would probably be sacrificed by the fae, and it would be worth it. That's fair. I guess they, they probably are. Pretty- <laughs> but uh, you're in trouble. <laughs> Good. Are we really at the end of the episode for an hour? Thank you so much for having me. I love fairy tales. I love an talk about them and it's actually kind of nice when my weird academic background collides with my weird hobbies mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um now you are also a professional author uh so if you do want to take a moment if you do want to take a moment and uh do a little marketing spiel about uh <laughs> publications you have going on right now uh it t- feel free I kind of tripped, and between my never and a few publisher errors, 2023 has turned into a nine-book year for me. I had a book come out yesterday, Sleep No More, the 17th book in my October Day series. Uh, The 18th book in that series, uh, The Innocent Sleep, comes out next month. And then in November, I have Overwatch Declassified, which is the authorized guide to the pre- uh, and- Deering, uh, is there a we have pre and post? Is there a word for deering? Um, for the pre to immediately post Omnic Crisis world of the Overwatch setting, it was a lot of fun to write. Mm-hmm. 
And I had to completely rewrite it like five times. So you should please God buy it to justify all those hours. <laughs> that I uh, yeah. Uh, what a surprise. Sean McGuire trips and a bunch of books fall out of her pockets. <laughs> My agent would like me to take a nap. <laughs> uh, it would I hopefully be a well-earned one. Um, Sean, thanks for coming on this episode. This was a lot of fun. Very enlightening. Uh, I love talking to people whose areas of expertise are in things that are maybe adjacent to stuff I'm familiar with, but are really out in the deep end when I'm in, like, the kiddie pool version. Um, so uh, this is great. Um, my final thought for the week. What is my final? I, you know, I, I usually have these planned. They don't. You can talk about Destiny. I can just default to Destiny. Did finish Crota's End. Uh, very excited to get my ring. Uh, um, so I have I have uh, I have the King's Fall ring from last year from from day one rating or week one and a half rating, whatever the window is for that. Uh, so I got uh, father and son rings to prove I killed them both. Um, and also, I've just <laughs> been enjoying the hell out of season of the witch so far. Uh, Eris Morn, call me. Hive God of <laughs> Vengeance. I love her so much. They they found a way to make the goth space wizard even hotter. Uh, yeah. Good job, Destiny. Having a good time this year. Well, uh, my final thought is uh, going to be book-related. Like last week when I mentioned I was reading uh, Devil House by also technically magic author John Darniel because he wrote uh -huh. all the flavor text for A Secret Layer. Um Quite possibly one of the best books I've ever read in my entire life. I cannot stop thinking about it. Uh, just an incredible, incredible book. Highly recommend it to anyone who uh, likes good books. That's that's sort of the line on it. Uh, just just incredible. Um, if anyone wants to talk to me at length about it, I will. I will sit there and, and yammer, but that's not the time for it. So, All right, well... I Actually, real quick, because Jay is not here, uh, and and thus, um, I, I want to honor Jay and remind everyone that Gamma Rebirth is now out on Netflix, or, um, well, I guess I probably shouldn't say anything potentially illegal. Um, but this is the first new Gamma media we have had in, like, 20 years, and that's wild. And I've watched the first episode, and uh, I'm enjoying it so far, and I think that's neat. But, um... If you out there, listeners, uh, think we're neat, you can head over to patreon.com slash thevorthoscast and start supporting us today. Uh, everyone who does gets access to our Discord community, where Vorthoses from around the world are uh, getting into a new magic set that has just released, Wilds of Eldraine. And we are uh, gearing up for hopefully some Doctor Who previews soon. I forget when they're supposed to happen, but uh, those Commander decks are out, I think, next month. So uh, that should be soon. And uh, everyone wants to know what's going to happen to Kellen. And uh, he's a good boy and we all love him. And if you would like to be part of a community where uh, you can be a big fan of that lad too, uh, you know, we would love to have you there. But uh, we adore all our listeners out there. Uh, so thank you for listening to our fun little show. This has been the Vorthos cast. <laughs>